Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. It's time now for Washington Report, where we take a look at headlines out of the United States. This uh, morning, we're going to be talking about U.S.-Japan relations that took center stage last week. Uh, the two, of course, uh, sealing a pact to deepen security and space cooperation. Uh, we're also going to talk about this new working group established by the U.S. and India, the idea to build sustainable supply chains and boost bilateral trade. Online with me is Frank Lavin, Chairman, Export Now. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Elliot, how are you? Good very, to chat with you. Very good, sir. It's been a while. It's been a while. Good to speak to you again. Yeah. Uh, Frank, you are a former White House political director, as was U.S. ambassador to Singapore. You're the best person to talk about this. Relationships, U.S. and Japan, they've signed this uh, treaty. Okay. It's about, you know, improving the uh, Indo-Pacific uh, relationship, security ties as well. What's your assessment of all of this? I think this is a phenomenon that's been unfolding for a number of years, Elliot, that Japan is more serious about its own security. Historically, during the Cold War era, it was comfortable being uh, an element or component of the U.S. security structure. I think their feeling was, in the last 10 years or so, they needed to build out their own security capabilities, still working with allies in the U.S., but they need to take a more robust role in it. So they, they just have a threat uh, perception, and I think I think it's concern about China that drives a lot of their behavior. Mm. I mean, just try to read the room in that sense. Looking ahead to the G7 summit that Japan is hosting in May, what does this do for Japan? Having a, a better seat in the room, having a, a louder say in that sense? Yeah, I think so. Japan is, by the way, they've also been more active in the TPP. This was launched by Abe, the the original TPP, and then they reconfigured it to the CPTPP. And the the third element is the Quad, this quadrilateral political grouping. So Japan is increasingly in a leadership role. And I think you're absolutely right that they view the G7 summit as an opportunity to shine Mm. and to uh, provide good offices and to try to find consensus among the major powers. Earlier, you highlighted China as a major point of concern. Uh, wondering about the whole U.S.-China chip war that's been uh, slowly escalating week by week. There's some new directive that's being put out there. What are we looking at here where Japan is concerned? We understand that the Netherlands is kind of joining that chip war against China. Can we expect any moves from Japan with regard to this? Well, I think, think Japan shares the U.S. concerns, as does the Netherlands, you point out, but it doesn't always line up precisely identical because the Netherlands makes some of the machinery, some of the drill equipment, so they have commercial interest in selling them. But we think there are broader strategic interests within the United States, so we want to be careful about empowering uh, Chinese chip capabilities. So I think China, I think Japan is very much aligned with that U.S. concern. Mm. Does this also you know, come in part to the fact that uh, China's filed a complaint to the WTO? And the thing about these complaints to the World Trade Organization is it takes very long to, to get anywhere with it, so it might as well take some kind of proactive action right now. Right. Well, and look, I've got some sympathy for China on at least one of the complaints, which is there was some political initiative in the U.S. to require that goods exported from Hong Kong carry a made-in-China label. But that is not consistent with WTO rules because Hong Kong has its own membership in the WTO and and it fulfills those obligations. So I'm I'm sympathetic to the, the Chinese complaint on that particular point.
Mm. Frank, let's move on to talk about uh, U.S.-India relationships. Uh, They've got this uh, bolstering trade deal between the U.S. and Asia. Trade has always been a tension point between both countries, disagreement over tariffs. Um, There was a bit of a a trade war. Your thoughts on this newly established uh, working group between the United States and India? Right, and and remember, (coughs) India chairs the G20 summit this year as well, so they've got a regional leadership body, a global leadership body as well. Look, India has limited appetite for trade liberalization, as does the U.S. We're sort of past the time when countries were looking for ways to liberalize and improve. Now they're the status quo type powers. That's certainly the U.S. attitude at the present, and I think that's sort of uh, Modi's attitude as well, to say the economy's growing 5%. There's no need to change things radically. So there's limited appetite for it. But, I, but I'll tell you, I think if they could improve some of those supply chain questions, they would be the recipient of inbound investment for auto parts or textiles or other kind of products there where India can be very competitive. Mm. We've first seen, you know, over the past two, three years going on four now, how the Biden administration has really put a closer eye on Asia, even the ASEAN region. Definitely that signal is there. Uh, but we're also getting reports. And, and Frank, here's where we dive into kind of the fun part of things, uh, where classified documents um, were found uh, in one I'm reading, Joe Biden's garage. I mean, first on the surface, uh, how is this going to affect 2024? Well, I, I think it will play a role. By the way, the scandal's not over yet, meaning yeah. uh, they were found in his garage, then they were found in his house, then they were found in his office at University of Pennsylvania. The, the school finding was first, I believe. So the point is there's a series, and it's hard to know when it comes to an end, but I, I don't think anybody <laughs> views this as finished yeah. elements. So I, I'll tell you what this does immediately, though, regardless of how long this scandal unfolds. It takes the shine off Biden, and it really brings him down to earth. He had a very good... December. He really had a successful end of year, and he looked good, and he was getting his legislation through. Republicans were confounded with this huge fistfight over leadership, but so so he looked good, and this brings him down to earth. But it's unfortunate for him; it takes it takes him takes him out of the sky. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but think that people are going to compare this versus the FBI search uh, that found, I think, quite a number of uh, classified documents at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. All the more, uh, both cases have to be handled with the the same strictness uh, and no bias. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I give I give the Attorney General Merrick Garland I give him high marks for saying, "Look, we're going to." appoint a special counsel for this. It's a serious matter, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. So we don't know how serious it is. But the key difference between, to be fair to President Biden, the key difference between the Biden and Trump is Biden is being 100% cooperative, and and, uh, Trump was (laughs) regalcitrant. Trump was, you know, opposite and deflect. So there is a material difference there. But nonetheless, it's you know, uh, what that old, I think it was a quote by uh, Napoleon, never murder a man who's committing suicide. That's mm. that's where the Republicans were last year in that leadership fight where it just went on for a week, a big, big brawl. And, and Biden just had to stand back and say these fellows aren't capable of governance. Mm. Uh, and that was a plausible theory. Now you're sort of saying, well, Mr. Biden, are you incapable of governance? So that becomes plausible. Mm. Just to wrap things up, uh, Frank, uh, today or later today in the United States, uh, they're celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, of course, markets will be closed. Over the years, you know, <laughs> this name has come up quite significantly. Uh, where are we at now in the United States? How significant is this day? I, I think it is a significant day. You know, we're on a journey. Every society is yeah. on this journey. Can yeah. you build a 
society, can you build an economy and a society and a political system that everybody can participate in? And I think the short answer is sure, that's what we want, but it's more of a journey. And some people participate readily, and and people who tend to come from disadvantaged backgrounds or minority backgrounds tend to have a tougher time. So a better society, though, we want everybody to have a job. We want everybody to learn and earn and grow and share, and it is it is a journey. Now, I'll say this. We are a heck of a lot better off than we were a few decades ago when Martin Luther King began his crusade, mm. uh, but, but we're not done. We're not done. Mm, I, I really like the way you put it. We are on a journey. Thank you so much for that. I've been speaking with Frank Lavin, who is chairman for Export Now. Frank, uh, thank you again. Take care and have a great day ahead. Thanks. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks for having me on. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.